Hi, Equippers, Essex. Welcome to Pentecost Sunday. Uh, so great. Technology is serving us once again, and uh, I get to be with you today. I count it a real honor and privilege. Uh, you know, culture has, Colchester has a big place in my heart. We spent 20 years of our lives there. All my children were born in Colchester. And so uh, I just want you to know I love your city. I love you as a church, uh, Barry and Sarah, their family. Just what an amazing company of people you are. So I just want to begin by saying, once again, it's an honor to serve you, an honor to be with you today. And uh, I'm, I'm always excited when Pentecost comes around every year. And I, I'm just going to go back to Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 and talk about the very first time Pentecost came, just to set the scene a little bit. Pentecost is part of a Jewish festival. And there were a number of times a year that the Jews used to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate those festivals. So the traveling took place three times a year, seven festivals in all. One of the key festivals that, that of course, took place was around the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, which was all celebrated in Passover. This goes all the way back to Exodus in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 12, when God delivered the children of Israel out of slavery. And so what literally happened in history becomes a picture, a metaphor, and an allegory for you and I and what we experience today. So just as the children of Israel were enslaved for 400 years under a rulership uh, where they had to uh, build things and do things for, for no pay, uh, just to barely eke out a living. And they had what the Bible calls hard taskmasters. And uh, they cried out to God. There was a groaning. This is not how we were meant to live. Something inside them told, us there, told them there is something more. And that becomes a metaphor and an allegory for how people are enslaved in sin. And even people who are enslaved in sin, you know, you can have all the trappings of success outwardly. You, you can have the money and you can have the cars and you can have the houses and you can have the bank balance. But there are so many stories of people who had all of those things and their lives were still tragic. And often they died young and they died miserable because every single one of us knows what it's like to be enslaved to something that you feel you have no power over and no control over. Some are enslaved to eating disorders. Some are enslaved to, uh, to fame and the opinions of others. And they live their life out in a way where others dictate how they should be living. There are some people enslaved to drugs or alcohol. There are some people enslaved to work and they're workaholics. Uh, you can be enslaved to all kinds of things. And by the way, whatever you're enslaved to ends up controlling you. It becomes an idol in a way, and an idol always demands a sacrifice. And so you've got this picture of Passover, which was the sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament, where the blood was put on the doorposts and lintel, and, and as a result of that, the angel of death passed over, and then the children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt through the Red Sea, uh, into freedom, if you will. And God's destiny was a promised land. But because of their unbelief, you know, commentators often will say, it just took less than a year for God to get Israel out of Egypt. It took 40 years for God to get Egypt out of Israel. And so there was a mindset, a way of thinking. Even though they were free, they weren't f free in their thinking. They were still enslaved. They still thought as slaves. 
even though they were sons. And so you've got this wilderness wanderings for 40 years till eventually they experience their ultimate destiny, the promised land. And so you've got this picture of Passover and, and the lamb slain and, and you've got Jesus and the resurrection around Passover. But then 50 days later, you get Pentecost. And so Jesus was around for 40 days after the resurrection, then 10 days later. And so when we read Acts chapter 1, we're picking up these last words of Jesus 10 days before Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was one of those celebrations for the harvest that was coming. So Jesus is called the first fruits of the harvest. And the first fruits that you get is always the guarantee of the ultimate harvest. The first fruit is just a small percentage right there at the beginning because it was a part of the field where the harvest ripened first. Maybe it got more water, more sunshine. Maybe it was just that part of the field. You, we've all got gardens like this. There's a part of the garden that just gets uh, where things really grow well because the sun is better, the water is better, uh, the environment is better. But it's the guarantee of an entire harvest that's going to come later. And that was Pentecost. Pentecost was the celebration of that harvest. And again, it's an allegory. It's a picture that there's going to be a harvest of souls. There's going to be a harvest of people who come into the kingdom and who experience resurrection life in their own lives. And so that's what we get recorded in the book of Acts. So, so these words, Pentecost, you know, Pente comes from five from 50 so it's 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus after Passover Pentecost comes and these are two of the major feasts in the Old Testament so we have in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4 we have Jesus talking to his disciples and this is coming from the mouth of Jesus listen to this and being assembled together with them he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father. I love that. I love that phrase, the promise of the Father. So, so, so in other words, Jesus is about to leave, but he's not leaving them alone. He talked about this in John's Gospel. He says, look, I'm, I'm going back to the Father, but I will not leave you orphans. I'm going to come to you again. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, now, they would have had some understanding of the Spirit of God, but not the way that they're going to experience it here in the book of Acts. And uh, so Jesus says, Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, already there, we've got two things put in alignment here. We've got the baptism of John, a baptism of water, and we've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now just think about that because Jesus is using that imagery to help them understand what's about to happen. He says, look, you know about John's baptism. You were submerged, immersed, dunked if you will, uh, completely soaked in water. But not many days from now, you're going to be immersed, baptized, submerged, dunked, soaked in spirit. That's, that's the imagery that Jesus is communicating here. And they would have got that. <clears throat> not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's interesting that for them, the coming of the spirit had to do with restoration. 
And they wanted to know, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. In other words, we don't have to be preoccupied with timings of things. By the way, just as a little aside here, isn't it amazing how in the church's history, people have obsessed about the second coming of Jesus. They've obsessed about times and seasons. Now, I know we're not to be ignorant of these things, but at the same time, there's a whole lot of stuff out there that is so obsessive and, and right down to details. And, you know, if you've got a microchip in here, you know, you've got the sign of the beast and the mark of the beast and all this kind of stuff. It's so unhelpful. It is really unhelpful. You know, you, you mustn't take this vaccine because now if you take the vaccine, you've got the sign of the beast. Well, guess what? I've had the vaccine and uh, I think I have the spirit. Uh, you, you know, there's just so much out there that people get caught up with. It's not for you to know the times or seasons. That's not the focus for the church. That's not the focus for you and I. Listen to Jesus here. <clears throat> but you shall receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Listen to this. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here's the first point I want to make this morning. When we receive Jesus and we follow Jesus and we say yes to Jesus, he wants to fill us with power in order that we can be witnesses and testimonies of his life, his death and his resurrection. And so the Spirit of God empowers us to witness. Now, we haven't had a great history with this, particularly within Pentecostal churches. Pentecost, Pentecostal. You know, we've tended to emphasize speaking in tongues. We've tended to emphasize the gifts of the Spirit. This is proof that you've been filled with the Spirit. Can I just tell you this? I believe in speaking in tongues. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. And I've moved in most of them. Not all of them, but most of them. Here's what I've discovered. The ultimate proof that you have received power from on high is that you have a supernatural confidence and boldness to speak about Jesus and to share your testimony of how he's changed your life. It enables you to overcome fear and intimidation. Jesus says, you know what? One day they're going to deliver up you up to kings and to all kinds of people. He says, but you're going to speak in that moment. I'm going to use you. The Apostle Paul experienced this in his life. Many times he stood before kings. He was on trial. He was, he was bound in his hands. But he spoke boldly and he testified of Jesus. This is what the church is filled with the Holy Spirit to do. In order for us to be empowered to move in the gifts of the Spirit. But why do we move in the gifts of the Spirit? Now you go to many charismatic churches and everybody wants to move in gifts of the Spirit in the meeting. They want to have a word of knowledge here or a word over here or to do something like that or pray for healing. Well, that's fantastic. That's great. That's church on Sunday. What about church on Monday? What about church on Monday? There came a point, you know, where I realized that many, many people love the stage on a Sunday, but they don't like the stage on a Monday. The stage on a Monday is the marketplace. 
The stage on a Monday is the workplace. The stage on a Monday is the school or the college that you attend. And how many of you know, if you are not sensitive in the way you share that, you're going to get fired or you're going to get kicked out or some kind of hullabaloo is going to happen. But we think we can bring our bad behavior into church on Sunday. And that's what I see in lots of charismatic churches. Come on. We've got to recognize that we have been empowered by the Spirit to testify of Jesus. And that means we have to do it wisely. Have you noticed in Proverbs 27, it says, He who wins souls is wise. It's wise to win souls, but you don't win souls without wisdom. Paul said this in Colossians 1, 27, 28. He talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach. We preach Jesus. Teaching every man and warning every man with all wisdom. With all wisdom. When we teach and we warn, we do it with wisdom. When we win people to Jesus, when we're testifying, we have to do it with wisdom. Paul said to, in Colossians, walk in wisdom to those who are without Sometimes you cannot say things bluntly. Sometimes you have to be careful of people's capacity. I have a little grandson. He's just the cutest little fellow. His name is Williams, two and a half years of age. And sometimes we put a hot meal in front of William and he's so eager to eat, you know, he just wants to get straight in. And I say, no, 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 no. You have to blow on it because it's hot. It's hot. Blow. And we just teach him to blow and we're warning him. Now, Imagine if I didn't use wisdom and didn't take into account the fact that he's two and a half years old. I said, well, the problem is, well, go ahead. You'll just burn yourself. You'll take layers of skin off your tongue. Then you'll learn. It's like, there's no wisdom there. There's no compassion there. There's no love there. There's no concern there. When we are communicating Jesus, the Holy Spirit empowers us with a boldness and a confidence, but it doesn't mean we don't use wisdom. And words of wisdom are one of the ways that we help people to know about Jesus. So God empowers us to witness. God wants to empower you. Hey, listen, if you feel fearful or intimidated about talking about Jesus, you need to just get filled with the Holy Spirit. And having been filled with the Spirit, you need to learn to walk in wisdom. How many of you know that sometimes over-enthusiastic people can just put off everyone else? How many of you know? You know, I'm not talking about being filled with the Spirit and being over-enthusiastic. I'm talking about being filled with the Spirit in order to testify of Jesus with wisdom. And Paul says when we teach and when we warn, we do it with wisdom. Teaching every man that we may present every man teleos, complete, matured, perfect in Christ Jesus. At the end of the day, only God can change people. But God uses our testimony. Have you noticed how many times in the Gospels people's lives were touched by Jesus? So, for instance, the Gadarene demoniac. This was a very, very sad situation. A man who literally lived in tombs and in chains and isolated from a community. He was naked and people go to feed him and he would beat them up. And he has an encounter with Jesus and, and has an amazing deliverance. Literally, a legion of demons are cast out of him, run into, go into the pigs, and they run into the sea. But this man is sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind, it says. And he wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, look, I want you to go home and tell everyone that you know the great things the Lord has done for you. 
He didn't tell him to go to Bible college. He told him to go to his family and friends and share his testimony of a changed life. He went throughout the whole region of Dicapolis and the Bible says that people were amazed at his story. Here's the great thing. You don't need a degree in theology to share your story of what Jesus did for you. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, a persecution broke out over the church after the death of Stephen and many of those believers went north into Syria. They ended up in a city called Antioch. And then in Acts chapter 11, the apostles sent Barnabas to Antioch, to this city, because something had happened. A church of Jews and non-Jews had formed and gathered together. What I love about that church is it was never planted by an apostle. It, wasn't, it didn't happen because of Philip the evangelist. It happened because the people who were persecuted in Acts chapter 8 went north and didn't know they shouldn't share the gospel with non-Jews. <laughs> they didn't understand that. They just were sharing their story about what Jesus did for them. And people who were non-Jews got saved. They said, that's a great story. We want this Jesus. And Barnabas went north by the apostles. And he says, when he saw uh, the grace of God that was, that was happening there, he saw all these people coming to faith. It says he encouraged them that with purpose of heart, they should cleave to the Lord and continue in the grace of God. By the way, he didn't go back to Jerusalem and tell the apostles because he knew that James and all that lot, who were a bit strict and pharisaical, would kill it. So he went north and got the Apostle Paul. That was a little bit naughty and a bit subversive, but I think it was great wisdom. And I think he was acting prophetically. And God established the greatest missional church in the New Testament that was made up of Jews and Gentiles through people sharing their story, confidently talking about Jesus. Now they were doing it in Acts chapter 8, but they got so persecuted, they left that city of Jerusalem and went north to another city. You know, sometimes not everyone's going to receive your story. Well, Jesus told us how to handle that in Matthew 10. Shake the dust off your feet and go to the next place where they will hear you. So that's my first point. The Spirit of God, when he comes us, empowers us to witness. Here's point number two. The Spirit of God is a missional spirit. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, the Holy Spirit not only empowers us, but pushes us to extend the boundaries of influence where we have our testimony. And sometimes that means going to a new place geographically. Hey, listen, it wouldn't surprise me if in the future God puts it on your heart that, that you're going to move out to Ipswich, that you're going to move out to Chelmsford, that you're going to move out to places around Colchester. You're going to have a solid base there, but you're moving out. You know, when Paul was at Ephesus, he had a friend of his who moved out to Colossae. Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians. He says, even though you've never seen my face, I know your messenger. You're literally your apostolic messenger. I know him. He's a friend of mine. He took what we did here and he brought it to you there. This is the Holy Spirit. When people are filled with the Spirit, with the Spirit they don't just want to stay at home. They don't just want to have church where they are. They're longing to bring church to different areas and different communities that don't yet know about Jesus. And so, again, you know, Pentecost Sunday, we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
That's not simply so that you can speak in tongues and you can move in the gifts of the Spirit. That's so that you can be empowered to testify about Jesus, not just here, but in lots of other places too. The Spirit of God is a missional spirit. People say to me, why don't we see miracles today? Why don't we see more miracles? Well, you start moving out into different places and you'll start to see miracles. Because miracles happen at the boundary and edge of mission. And so where we see around the world where miracles are really taking place, you know what? It's in the places where people are pushing the boundaries, where they're extending the kingdom, where they're bringing the gospel to different communities. That's what we're called to do. So the promise of the Father, the Spirit of God, is there to empower us to witness. It's there to be that missional spirit. Jesus is concerned about the last, the least, and the lost. How do I know he's concerned about the last? Because he made this statement. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. So Jesus, is he interested in the first? Yes, he is, but he's more interested in the last. Because often the last gets forgotten about. He's interested in the least. How do I know that? Because he made this statement. If you give a cup of cold water to the least of my brethren, you do it to me. Have you ever thought about the fact that the least person, the one who has the least amount of recognition, the one who has the least amount of influence, that you do some act of kindness to them and you're doing it to Jesus? He's concerned about the last, he's concerned about the least, but he's concerned about the lost. How do I know that? Well, because in Luke chapter 15, he told three stories about lost things. About the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go for the lost sheep. About the woman who searches for the coin that's been lost in her house. About the father who waits patiently for the prodigal son to return. This, my son, was lost and now he's found. He was dead and he's alive. Let us celebrate. And so Jesus is concerned with all those things. The last, the least, and the lost. Hey, who in your world fits that category? Maybe you think this morning you do. Well, I want you to know Jesus loves you and he's concerned about you. And there is a place for you in his kingdom. <clears throat> it's an all-inclusive mission. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that. If you're high-born, low-born, if you're educated or you're uneducated, if you're rich or you're poor, if you're black or you're white, it doesn't matter. All those categories that we place upon people, it's a whosoever believes. Whoever puts faith in Jesus Christ is born again. And guess what? When you're born again, you transcend all of those things. You transcend your education. So Paul could look at his education as a Pharisee and says, I count it but dung compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. It puts those things into a different category. Your ethnicity goes into a different category because now you're a citizen of heaven. Your education goes into a, a different category because now in Christ Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Colossians chapter 1. It, it, it puts those things in perspective so that none of us can boast in those things now like we're better than someone else because we're British or because we're white or because we're this or because we're that. None of those things are things we can 
any longer boast in. But Paul says, if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, that I might know him. The power of his resurrection, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, all of that stuff. The Spirit of God is a missional spirit. If, if we want to be a church that's relevant, we've got to be a church that's constantly pushing the boundary and moving, moving out. Hey, hey, listen, you know, we're coming out of lockdown. I, I hope you enjoy gathering together again. I hope you're enjoying that because something happens when Jesus is in the house, where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst. When Jesus is in the middle of the house, stuff happens, friends. And, uh, and we need to celebrate that. Here's the third thing. The Spirit of God, the Spirit that we're baptized in, is a relational spirit. It's a relational spirit. In other words, not only am I baptized into Christ, that's what the Spirit does. You should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not, I'm baptized into Christ, but I'm baptized into Christ's body. So the hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The eye cannot say, because I am not a foot, or I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. The Holy Spirit puts us together in the body of Christ and connects us together. So, so the Spirit of God empowers us to witness. The Spirit of God is a missional spirit, but the Spirit of God is a relational spirit. This is why unity is so important. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. That lovely Hebrew word there, yachad. And it's repeated twice, yachad, yachad, together, together. Uh, in Hebrew, you don't have superlatives like we do, do here in, in the English language. Good, uh, great, greater, greatest. That's a superlative, ascending order, great, greater, greatest. Superlative language. You don't have that in Hebrew or Greek. So the only way to communicate something superlatively is to repeat it. And so in order to, to communicate a special kind of togetherness, this lovely Hebrew word, yachad, is repeated twice. Together, together. And it's a good translation together in unity. It's a special kind of togetherness. It's a, it's a coming together. Behold how good and how pleasant. And, and friends, my spirituality is tested. My spirituality in terms of my relationship with God is tested in terms of my relationship with you. John says in his letter, in 1 John 4.20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother... He's a liar. That's strong language, isn't it? That's really strong language. If you have hate in your heart towards somebody who's another believer, you don't like hanging around them, you don't want to be near them, you're a liar. <laughs> I didn't say that. The Apostle John said that. I'm just quoting him. Don't throw stones at me. Come on now. Who... For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So in other words, the quality of my relationship with God vertically is tested through the quality of my relationships horizontally. The Spirit of God is a relational spirit because God in himself is a relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect unity. 
There is no competitiveness. The Son willingly submits to the will and plan of the Father. I only do those things that please Him. What I see the Father doing, that I do. What I hear the Father saying, that I say. And so there's this wonderful unity that the Spirit of God doesn't speak of Himself, but the Spirit of God speaks of Jesus. And so there's this lovely deferring constantly within the Godhead. And that's why in the New Testament it says that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What are we really doing? What, when the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, we're to honor one another, giving preference to one another. What's all of that about? Well, it's about nurturing and honoring the relationships that God has put us in with, in the body of Christ. It's a relational spirit. And th that's why it makes me smile sometimes when people talk about, oh yeah, I've been filled with the Spirit, I speak in tongues, and they're just obnoxious. They're proud and they're arrogant and they, they're just difficult to be around people. And, and do you know what? The Corinthian church ended up like that. They were a company of people who weren't behind in any spiritual gift, Paul says. And yet they were competitive and they were divisive and they had different factions in the church. And sometimes when they came together for the Lord's Supper, someone, someone got drunk and someone was eating way too much. And all kinds of things were happening in the Corinthian church because it, it was about displaying their spirituality in order to appear better than others. Rather than serving, rather than coming with 1 Corinthians 13 with a heart of love, choosing the excellent way. And so we need to recognize that the Spirit of God is relational. The quality of your relationships, if you're filled with the Spirit, will be good relationships. They'll, they'll be honoring relationships. They'll be relationships where we receive as well as give to others. Here's my final point. The Spirit of God, when we're filled with the Spirit, is a prophetic spirit. This is the thing that I really love. We speak words from the heart of the Father to people. See, when we speak in tongues, we speak mysteries in the Spirit to God. But when we prophesy, we speak to men. When you look at the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, when we get to Acts chapter 2, it's, it's really fascinating. Because in Acts chapter 2, it, it, it says this, uh, there were dwelling in Jerusalem, this is from verse 5 of Acts 2, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the sound of the mighty rushing wind, all of that, the multitude came together and were confused. Now listen to this, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? They're from this particular region. How is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? And listen to this, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Mo, Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own language with the wonderful works of God. Fifteen different regions are spoken of there. 15 different languages at least. But they heard them speak in their own language. In other words, even though we call it speaking in tongues, these were known languages because they were prophesying. 
when Peter gets up to preach, he says, you know what? What you're hearing right now is what Joel the prophet spoke about in Joel chapter 2. He says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The ultimate test of being filled with the spirit is prophecy. It is declaring the wonderful works of God. It is speaking into hearts. It is why in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, desire earnestly that you might prophesy when the church comes together. He says that is the greatest gift that you can have. He says if an uninformed person or an unbeliever comes in and you prophesy, the secrets of their hearts are manifest and they fall down on their face and say, God is in you of a truth. That was Paul's expectation. I've seen that happen in public meetings. I've experienced it several times. Even while I'm preaching, I've broken off in preaching and prophesied over people. And they've wept and the Spirit of God has come on them and they've come to faith or they've come out of a period of of darkness or unbelief and, and found fresh life through that prophetic word. And the great thing about prophecy is that it's, it's a declaration. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said this, when you're delivered up to judges and governors, don't worry about what you're going to say. It will be given you in that hour. It won't be you who's speaking. It's my Father who's speaking through you. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't have to worry about the context, the circumstances, or the pressures that we come under. The Spirit of God is with us to inspire us and give us words that we speak into people's lives. And when we do that, we are prophesying. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10, it says this, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus. If we carry the testimony of Jesus, if we know Jesus, the spirit of prophecy is in our lives. And that makes all the difference. So just remember this. Pentecost is all about being empowered to witness to Jerusalem, Judea. It's a missional spirit. It's a relational spirit. We do it together. Isn't it interesting? Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. He didn't send them out singly. There was a a relational dynamic. Why is that? Because where two or three are gathered together in my name, where two of you agree on earth touching anything, it's done my Father. You know that word agree? It literally is the word that we translate as harmony. In other words, you're in tune, you're synchronized. The relational dynamic is really important. And finally, it's a prophetic spirit. It's the testimony of Jesus. His church is a prophetic church. You are a prophetic church there in Colchester. You're a city set on a hill. You're salt and light to that community. And God wants to use you to bring about change, to bring his words of life, his words of reconciliation, his words of healing, his words of forgiveness, his words of encouragement, so that people can find faith in Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit is given. And I'm going to hand over to Pastor Barry right now, but I'm hoping this morning that that some of you are going to say, you know what, I need the Holy Spirit's power released in my life. Listen, when you're born again, you receive the Spirit. But many times I've met Christians who've never activated the Spirit. They have the Spirit, but the Spirit doesn't quite have them. They need to activate the gifts of the Spirit in order 
to be witnesses, in order to be missional, in order to be relational, in order to be prophetic. So we're going to go right into a moment. I'm going to allow Pastor Barry to pray for you as church. But before he does that, if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him as King, as Lord, you've never received him into your life, or maybe you did a long time ago, but you know you haven't walked with him, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. When we come to a place of surrender, what we're really saying is this, God, I want you to take control. And the reason we do that is because God has the best in mind for you. He made you, He shaped you, He graced you, He gifted you. He knows what your destiny is. And when you surrender to Him, you're really saying, God, lead me in that path as I follow Jesus. Make me more like Him. You have to pray a prayer something like this. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross that paid for all of my sins, my mistakes, my misdeeds, my independence from you. Thank you for his resurrection that guarantees my future and my destiny. I ask you to forgive me for all of my past. I surrender my life to you now, Jesus. I ask you to come in and take control. Today I freely confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Hey, if you said that prayer, friends, whether you're watching online or whether you're there gathered together with the church, I just want to tell you that God is true to his word. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is the first step. I'm going to hand over to Pastor Barry now. He's going to lead you if you want to respond to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But what a great Sunday to do that on, Pentecost Sunday, to go away feeling empowered, feeling confident, feeling like you can make a difference in the world. Thank you so much for receiving me today. It's been so great to be with you. God bless you. Be at peace. Shalom. How good was that? I hope you feel inspired. Just thank you so much, Pastor Peter. We, we love you so much. You're family to us. And thank you for taking time out of your busyness to sow into us and our church. Uh, God bless you. Um, and, but come on, guys, what a moment for us. You know, how about we take a moment to say, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. You know, maybe you've never prayed that prayer and said, you know, I believe in Jesus, I've accepted Jesus, but how about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being submerged in the Holy Spirit? But you know what? It's not just about a one-off filling, it's about a continual filling. So even if you're someone who walks with the Holy Spirit, how about today you say, I could do with a little bit more? So I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to believe, if you'll believe with me, that you're going to experience something fresh, something new, something of the now with the Holy Spirit. Come on, church, let's pray. Those of you who are willing, I just want to encourage you just to open your hands, just to say, I'm receiving you. I'm open to you. You are welcome here. Holy Spirit, we honor you. And right now, for everyone who's willing, I just declare over you a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Be filled in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd anoint people afresh. Lord, that you would just release giftings on your church. You'd release the power to your church. You'd cause us to rise up and be the men and the women and the children you've called us to be in this town, uh, in this time. Not just because we're good, but because you're good through us. 
So empower your church, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for the release of gift of tongues, for the release of gifts of, of prophecy, for the release of gifts of, of, of healing and words of knowledge and all those amazing things you give us, which set us apart from any other group in the world, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But Lord, I thank you that the purpose of all this is for mission, to go out and be your witnesses, to go out and show someone what heaven looks like. So I pray you would stir our hearts for people. And as you stir our hearts for people, we know that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring change. So be filled afresh, church. Be filled afresh. Receive that right now. Come on, I release the gift of tongues over you. Open your mouth and speak out. I release the gift of prophecy over you. I release the gift of healing over you. Come on, I wonder who's having a moment right now. Let's not let it pass. Life-changing moments. Empowerment to the church. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. How exciting. As we begin to unlock and as the church is able to gather again, I'm believing for these great moments where we encounter heaven together all over again. But more than that, that we leave the building and we go out and we make a difference in our world, in our places of education, in our workplace, in our streets, in our social spaces, that the world can't be the same because the empowered church is on mission. Come on, church, let's make this a, a standout Sunday. Let's decide something in our heart that we're here to make a difference for the glory of Jesus. God bless you. I just hope you have a great rest of the day. Look forward to seeing you at prayer tonight, but I'm going to hand you back to the worship team as we go out in praise. God bless you guys.